And then if their boss, even if they get time during working hours to study, oh no, I need to do that learning thing again. Oh no. Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. In this series episode of the VocTech Podcast, Learning Continued, which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. My name is Sophie Bailey and you are very welcome. And you can follow online at hashtag VocTechPodcast and at PodcastEdTech and at UFI Trust on Twitter. A big shout out to UFI VocTech Trust and UFI Ventures for supporting this new series and vocational skills development in the UK through their investments and grants in vocational technology. The UFI VocTech Seed Fund is open from the 21st of January to the 13th of February 2020. So what do you need to know? Well, there is between 15 and £50,000 available for innovative projects that use digital tech to help people improve the skills they need for work across the UK. The project duration can be anywhere from 3 to 12 months. And there are supporting workshops and webinars to guide your applications happening now. And finally, applications for the seed grants are open on the 21st of January, as I mentioned, and close on the 13th of February at 5pm. So get prepping. For all the details, go to ufi.co.uk, ufi-seed-guidelines. So... Welcome back and welcome to a new year of episodes about vocational learning technology and everything that is shaping the future of work and skills development. I hope you're feeling energised and over the culture shock of being back at work. I've been playing catch up this week after preparing and presenting in front of a demanding crowd of 8 and 11 year olds at a local primary school. I spoke to them all about the world of podcasting and why the digital knowledge economy is a sector they might want to find out more about. All was naturally communicated through the age-appropriate medium of Fortnite and Ryan's toys. Anyway, this week's episode throws back to our live recording at Dare to Learn 2019 in Helsinki, Finland, recorded during the same week as Hell We Can – an event on boosting skills and continuous learning in Europe. With a panel of adult education and corporate training providers, teachers and ecosystem supporters, we dig into some of the following questions. Whose responsibility is upskilling workers? What is big tech doing to fund upskilling programmes? And we talk about some specific Google announcements. Are learning economics fit for purpose in corporate learning? And what investment opportunities in corporate training are worth taking a look at? Don't forget, for all the show notes, it's theedtechpodcast.com. And without further ado, let's listen in. really like the best audience I've ever had. You guys are so responsive and into everything, so I love that. Uh, So the next thing is the live recording of the EdTech podcast hosted by Sophie Bailey. So please welcome on stage, Sophie Bailey. Okay, well, uh, welcome everyone to this live recording of the EdTech podcast. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to be here at Dare to Learn and in the beautiful Helsinki. 
Um, and for those of you who don't know uh, about the EdTech podcast, we've been going about three years, um, and our mission is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. Um, and previously, we've uh, pretty much covered everything from early years, K-12, higher education, and so on. Um, but our latest uh, series on the podcast is about vocational education, adult education, corporate training, future of work, and how that intersects with technology. So um, that's why I'm here today. Uh, we're going to record with some guests that work both in vocational education, in sort of technology platforms in this space, and find out a little bit more to share both with the audience here, um, but also those uh, listening in um, from 145 countries around the world. Um, so I'd like to now invite my guests on to the stage, um, and then we'll get started. Okay, so welcome everyone. Um, rather than me do a terrible pronunciation job straight off, um, what I'm going to do is hand over to my guests to just give a little two-minute introduction to who they are uh, and what they do in this space. Um, so let's kick off and we'll go around this way. So Antti, if you'd like to start. Good morning, everyone. Um, Antti Korhonen, heading ExEdu, the Education Business Accelerator. We are now the biggest EdTech accelerator in Europe. We started our eighth cohort just this week, uh, having accelerated approximately 70 companies at the end of this year who have now raised more than 20 million uh, euros in, in risk capital and are making a, an impact uh, for, for better better world. Uh, my name is Janne Hietala. I'm from Valamis, one of the entrepreneurs at Valamis and Chief Visionary Officer. Um, Valamis is a learning platform for large corporations. Uh, we work in corporate learning space. Uh, we combine uh, UX, uh, design thinking, um, learning science within the platform, how we work with our clients. Uh, one of our, our sort of um, commercial strategy is to work with the best organization in the world, uh, and that helps us to co-develop the product as well. Uh, so we've had a, had a really uh, interesting years, years uh, in terms of growth and, and what kind of organization we've had chance to work with. Okay, fantastic. And we'll return to... Uh Yenny there. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a teacher in a vocational school in Omnia in Espo. I teach societal skills and working life skills as well as AI and moralities. And um, also we have emotional skills. Okay, fantastic. And finally, Reda. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm here instead of our, manager, our CEO and, and founder, Arto Tenhunen. Uh, I've been uh, working as an educator, uh, as it happens, uh, for 35 years, uh, this September, actually. Um, and um, it's been really interesting to see how things have been evolving and how we are actually now exporting our uh, uh, educational and pedagogical know-how to all over the world. I've been following it, partially been involved in it, but now, as of five weeks ago, I joined uh, Soprano PLC the leading private training company here in the Nordics. Uh, my main job is to be the uh, executive director in charge of communications and uh, corporate social responsibility. But as it happens, uh, already during the first few weeks, I was also asked uh, to do training, so I've been very happy to be in front of audiences, helping them learn and understand new things. Uh, that's my, my passion. And we are here, really, uh, to find people to collaborate with, um, not only in Finland, as we already have, but increasingly all over the world, because we deliver trainings to tens of countries, 
uh, last year there were more than uh, almost 23,000 individuals all over the world who took part in our trainings face-to-face and online. Perfect. And I feel like I should... Um uh, you know, congratulate, congratulate you on 35 years as an educator. It's almost like, you know, when you get to that duration in marriage and it, it requires some... It makes some... me sound old, but, <laughs> but I'm trying to say it with pride. So, um, first question to our panellists, I suppose, is um, who's responsible for um, adult education and upskilling? Um, is it the state? Is it the individual? Um, you know, is it private companies? What's the kind of mix that you're seeing and that's being successful from where you're standing? So who would like to kick off? Well, I'm happy to, to, to say that uh, I think it's, it's mostly up to the individual, definitely. Uh, the resources are there. The courses are there. There are training companies. There are courses running all the time. Uh, you can go online at any point. Um, so without being too meta here, I think it's important to educate people about the importance of education, of lifelong learning, which is one of the things that we're really emphasizing, lifelong learning for for working professionals. Uh, I think a good motto is that life equals fun. Uh, And and you can get that from, from, you know, if you think about life equaling learning, it means that something's happening in your brain, you're evolving all the time, you're enjoying it, and if then learning equals fun... In other words, you really love it, then you get that life equals fun. Instilling this into people, I think, is is very important. And that's, of course, where the government has a role. Mm. And that's where I think that's their touch point, where they help people understand this, as well as all of us who are in this room. It'd be interesting. I mean, um, I think in terms of funding as well, so certainly back home... It's kind of well advertised that the um, further education sector is, mm. is kind of lacking in, in the funding side of things. So um, I suppose education onus on the individual requires that individual to have the financial capabilities to, to kind of jump in. Um, anyone, any other thoughts on that? Well, maybe if we look at the corporate learning space, especially um, or, or people currently working, um, there's research that shows that they have less and less time for learning. Uh, Throughout digital, digital tools, they're getting more and more interrupted, uh, so they, they have a sort of attention span of four minutes uh, before you get interrupted by a digital device or a communication tool within the workplace. Uh, this is a big challenge. And, and obviously, like, when we put the responsibility for individuals to learn, but if they don't have time or sort of, sort of feasible uh, um, economic means to learn uh, in, during their work, it's really difficult to do that. So they will be stretching their personal life um, to be able to learn on, the, on, the, on their uh, own time. And if we look at, at the sort of larger picture, what's happening in Europe and in the world as well, and I, I, I did research for, for a white paper that we published for digital transformation of the workforce, um, currently it's, it's on individual definitely, and, and companies are looking to sort of, they're firing from the other side of the organization and hiring from the other side. So, so it, it's, it's sort of responsibility, responsibility for the people to do that, but the numbers are going up so much of how, how large uh, amount of people need to be reskilled mm-hmm. that it, either the companies will take the responsibility from the CSR side um, or the governments will have to step in uh, to, to motivate the companies from the taxation or other aspects to make sure that they do the responsibility of retraining uh, the people. I, I think we start to see early thing, uh, uh, like an early uh, movement in, in this area, but everything's sort of... Uh, five to ten years ahead in, in terms of the 
the full size of the challenge. And it's, it's interesting because I know that we spoke before about mm. learning economics. I know you spoke about that today as well um, earlier on. But um, you know, recently I think uh, Amazon announced they were spending 700 million yeah. US dollars on retraining a, a third of their workforce. Yeah. And this isn't necessarily like an altruistic act. It's actually, you know, being able to get that many people um, back into the workforce or into the workforce for the first time in the skills areas they need isn't going to happen through traditional mechanisms in the time needed as well. So, well, I I think that's definitely a big problem for for companies, and and I've heard this in different different studies and settings that, especially the CEO, the the highest level in large organisations, don't see reskilling as economically viable option. So they don't see that as a possible. And when we, when we sort of drill down from there, um, companies don't have understanding how to, how to make learning investments or how to calculate learning investment, investment. And that was what I was talking earlier in my presentation. Uh, quite simple ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not taught in business schools. That's not taught in executive education. Um, I was at two years at London Business School and really poked the different professors of economics and leadership. That doesn't exist currently. And I, I think... In order to solve this larger pro- problem, first of all, we have to have basic ways to understand what is a good solid learning investment, how much should we invest instead of falling back into this is a cost, we need to decrease it as an expense, and then when we understand it, we can optimize it, and then people will have that sort of economic capability during their work, work life uh, to do this. I think this is a, a, a very important approach, and we, we, these things need to be addressed in mm-hmm. companies. Uh, another way to actually solve this is, in my mind, to actually um, help young people love, fall in love with learning in school. So partially, I have to say very bluntly here on stage that uh, school is to blame for the situation because young people feel relieved when they are finally done with school and finally done with studies. And then if their boss, even if they get the time during working hours to study, oh no, I need to do that learning thing again. Oh no. So as there have been increasingly discussions that learning and, and going to school should be fun, I think it's more important than ever in the history of humanity. Because it's not about that moment, those years. It's about their entire lives. And if school destroys their interest in learning, no time or incentive makes them effective, eager learners later in life. Yes, thank you. This, this Absolutely. Is a great yeah, I, I feel like I have to, to say something for this. Um, thank you for these uh, companies' views. We really need it at the school. So we are, so to say, combining your uh, thoughts uh, in teaching and with our students so that we actually come from the students' side. So that we are... Um, helping people to understand that, hey, you already understand. You already know a lot. So this comes f- straight from you. We, are, we have different skills. We know a lot. So it's actually, you can also Google that it's in the basic, it goes to the phenomenon-based learning. So we have skills that we are already harnessing and in school, and then also we are um, combining the societal uh, impact mm-hmm. of these skills. And it's very important to take in, um, in the view of the companies. Okay. Building on what Janne was saying about the digitalization cha- changing the work. So, yes, digitalization will be changing uh, the work, and uh, 
yes, it is up to the individual to keep up, up to date. How many of you actually have done the elements of AI course? Excellent. One percent of Finns have done the elements of AI course. Uh, and that was actually something that uh, Sundar Pichai, the, the CEO of Google, mentioned in the news conference one hour ago. Uh, then there are, in digital transformation, there are also these, these kind of big changes when the society needs to hop in and the corporate responsibility needs to hop on. So actually what, what happened in the news conference one hour ago was that Google said that yes, they will invest 600 million to additional uh, data centers to Hamina. Yes, they will invest uh, to two wind farms in Finland to produce 250 megawatts so that, so that uh, the... Uh, they are doing renewable energy for the whole data center. But then the third thing that, that he was saying was that they will invest into uh, education programs together with the biggest Finnish trade union, SAK, on, uh, especially on those uh, professions where the change is biggest because of the digitalization. So, so uh, yes, corporates need to hop in, the society needs to hop in, but still in, 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 in the effect... It is up to the individual to sign to the course or, or to the, to the uh, learning solution. It's very interesting. And I think, so partnership seems to be the way forward. I just wondered if, um, among our panellists, you could kind of share some of those partnerships. And I know that you've worked with NASA, for example, and, and you were talking about the phenomenon-based uh, learning and actually having some of your students go into workplaces. So if we could dig into a little bit some of your concrete partnerships and... and you know, the learnings that you've had through those yeah. uh, examples. Yeah, for example, we have, uh, it's quite new in Finland to say, uh, working life-based learning, so that we actually are um, going to the workplaces where the students work already, so, and then we can see those skills or the sub subjects and the curricula if it matches what you are already doing at the working place. So we can have... Uh, um, some uh, methodical, methodological uh, skills coming from there, and we have different uh, subjects that we can combine, for example. And I, I know we spoke previously about how, you know, EdTech, the broader idea of EdTech in K-12 in schools in higher education has had to go through a sort of painful journey of actually being better at measuring the impact of learning. And I, I can see... Um, Oli from the Education Alliance uh, Finland here, um, and a lot of that work here and, and, and both at home is about you know, efficacy and actually measuring that. And I wondered to what extent uh, people feel that corporate training and adult education is um, how it's sort of benchmarking in terms of measuring impact. Well, I, I think it goes to the, like the root, root problem if, if the, first of all, you don't really have the foundation of economics for the learning investments. Uh, most of the learning analytics in corporate space is thinking about how many hours of training we do and can we decrease that and, and where the, what are the sort of the skills and topics that, that we're training. What we are doing, for example, with, with Wallam is, is, is connecting the learning and, and the behaviors that, that happen after the, after the learning, learning interactions or learning experiences are done with the actual business mm -hmm. performance. So trying to go with, with, with the help of data science directly in a way to the business performance side, looking at if you have cohorts of learners doing different kind of learning experiences or learning programs, but we look at the same outcome in the business perspective, that what is the best way to make an impact into those sort of numbers? And, and that's, that's something that we can do very much today. Uh, we have a quite large data science function working on, on that specifically. Mm -hmm. so, so learning can be very concrete and outcome-based, 
uh, and especially when you translate into soft skills and behaviors, um, which is really important for the corporate space, uh, you get really solid results uh, on, on that. But if you just focus on, on learning and learning data separately from the business data, then you're just looking very small part of the big picture. Yeah, we have continuous assessments so that actually people have their portfolios, for example, and then they come with uh, different styles with videos or pictures or if you like to write a lot. So you can reflect on your work on, or your studies or the subject that is in matter. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a separate place. At Soprano, we're collaborating with a number of uh, quite large corporations, uh, mm-hmm. who, the employees of whom are participating in our trainings online, as I, as I mentioned. And we're continu- continuous assessment is, is really, really important to get the kind of proper feedback loop to, to, to work there so that we can provide them exactly what they need and continuously modify the training so that their, their efficacy is as, as high as possible. Uh, we're also collaborating in our same building, happy to, to note, with Clanet. We are uh, working with them on their uh, AI-based learning platform, uh, which is also something which clearly helps an individual to take the kind of learning path to reach optimal results. And most recently, we initiated, uh, actually uh, uh, two weeks ago today, a uh, collaboration with Google. So you're happy to come downtown to the Google Digital Garage. It's the first actual physical street-level presence of Google in the Nordics. And there's a learning space there, and I encourage you warmly to, to come there. Not today, because there's a special event, as we heard, and security is high, so you can't get in, and not even me. Uh, but but uh, as of Monday, again, from 10 to 6 p.m. And what we're doing with them in terms of assessment and helping individuals learn, I mean, adults improving their, their up, and upgrading their skills is, is super rewarding, I have to say. Return on investment in learning is, is one, of, one of the things where companies are getting better and, and, and products like Valamis are, are helping in there. And uh, it's very interesting when large corporations really start to look into that. So, so when they are having the transition, so they are starting to find that, hey, actually it may be easier for us uh, and cheaper for us to put a person uh, or a group of persons who are old employees to study for a year, and, and then when they come back reskilled, they have the tacit knowledge, the old knowledge that they, they, they mm-hmm. had. So, so it, it can yeah. be actually uh, a better business case for the company instead of sacking the old people and hiring new ones and, and having all that disruption there, actually to put a number of people to the course for a year, and still the business case will be better three years down the road. Absolutely, and when I read the study where the CEOs were saying that, like it's not economically viable, and I, that really disturbed me. So, so from our side, we really want to push the technology and, and learning productivity, to dem- and the learning analytics and measuring the learn- learning impact to demonstrate that it is economically viable, and it should be economically viable. Um, so just making true case examples like that. I wanted to jump a little bit back. You mentioned phenome-based learning, and uh, we've applied that in, in online mm-hmm. format, and actually in, in the NASA collaboration, we introduced them into phenome-based learning. That was one of the starting points how we got, got in touch with them. Um, so, so I definitely love the phenome-based approach, and it works in corporate setting as well. Very good and it, to hear. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it aligned how they thought about, but they didn't have a sort of pedagogical yeah. framework. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, that's definitely one of the key things that, yeah. that we've taken from the Finnish education system. And yeah, it's, it's also, say, rather new for us as well in Finland. So 
it's very interesting to hear that you have actually yeah. already took it. <laughs> It's interesting, style. so there's a lot of talk there about technology, and I just run, wondered what your thoughts were on the role of technology in this space. Um, you know, we've talked about AI, um, and whether the role of technology, but also the role of culture, so we talked about, you know, whether companies are ready to actually take on learning in the workplace in a, in a sort of serious way. So I just wondered if what people's thoughts were on where they're seeing technology actually be useful in kind of um, adult education and workplace learning? Maybe I can, I can start a little, little bit on that. So, so I think there's a lot of history with learning management systems in corporate space. That's, that's the same with education space. Um, traditionally, LMS has very poor net promoter score. People hate to use it. It's, it's mainly used for compliance. The content quality is really bad. Um, there's been a lot of, lot of online MOOCs and online content providers, LinkedIn Learning or Plural Site, creating high-quality content. Uh, but then organizations have to go to different sources for their learning, learning needs. So that's where, where our space and learning experience platforms is taking actually from, uh, from digital marketing, digital customer experience, putting the learner into, into center and aggregating resources, personalizing learning, providing higher quality experience for them. But I, I think it's still the old sort of legacy, legacy LMS systems that's holding a lot of the corporations in the back. I wanted to also bring, bring up lot, sort of my, my long hate relationship with Moodle. I think that's preventing, in a, in a way, in, in a way, Finland from moving yeah. forward mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But it's very low cost. So when the when the thinking is that low cost mindset, but I, I, I think we have to really take something something, and I'm happy to bring it forward. It's, it's interesting uh, you mentioned Moodle because uh, I spoke to someone this morning um, within the sort of education space, and, and they said, you know, they're still getting like hundreds of emails from their students, and they should be all be um, communicating through Moodle, but but they're not. So um, that was just a little aside from an earlier conversation. But no bad uh, feelings to Moodle. Yeah, I, I actually, um, absolutely, it depends on a lot of the platforms. If it helps uh, the learners to get motivated and do their own style, if it's very narrow, sort of, it enables you to do only uh, writing or videos or something very, which is not your style, then mm. it's no good. Yeah. So we use different platforms. Okay. Yeah. Technology can be a great enabler in, in learning. Uh, like, for example, if you take the way how, how Minerva University is building its, its online university for, for maximum, maximum of 20 people and how, how the people in different continents co co uh, discuss and, le and learn that way, and that, that's the same true in the, in the kind of corporate environment. But it's, it's only an a a enabler. Mm -hmm. it's, it starts from building fitness for use, the kind of the, the right pedagogical use. Last week I heard uh, a Cisco presentation in Tallinn where their head of corporate learning was, was telling how they failed because they thought that everything is going to mobile device. Mm. And for some of the learning content, mobile device is not the right so, so there are some uh, things that work great in, in a small screen, but then if you have a big amount of data and you need to be able to comprehend stuff and, and work on the stuff, you don't design mobile first there. There you need to have a bigger screen. So, so it's, it, it starts from pedagogical, that, that what, what are the kind of learning goals, and, and then you put technology in as an, as an enabler there. One, one really important uh, approach or methodology not really a technology per se, it definitely is gamification, mm -hmm. which we are deploying increasingly. Um, it's 
widely misunderstood or not understood at all. It's being used in very silly, childish ways in many cases, uh, particularly, partially for this very reason, uh, in education for children. But if you really understand how a human psyche works, how any one of us as a human being, how we operate and why we do what we do, uh, we realize that how you structure it so that there are suitable small rewards with clearly set goals, etc., that's all there is to it. You, you gamify an experience. There's nothing silly or childish or outlandish or blingy about it. It can be very subtle when you implement in a pedagogical uh, setting. Uh, and this is something where I see strong growth in the next few years. And the reason is simple. People are gradually understanding the kind of things that I just that came out of my mouth. Uh, and and you, you hear my words, but how many of you are using or have been using gamification? Okay, how many feel really comfortable with it, that it's a natural good part of what you're doing? I rest my case, Your Honor. Fantastic. And then, Ante, from your perspective, I mean, you, you're seeing, you know, subsequent cohorts come through XEDU. Um, I just wondered what types of companies you're seeing in this space, particularly, as opposed to schools and higher education. Um, and what investment opportunities do you see are kind of viable as well? Right. So um, AR uh, and, and using AR in, in uh, learning, especially in corporate environments, that's, that's one, one uh, uh, big area where there are many, many companies. Uh, they are not necessarily always kind of like VC scalable, but they can bring a good living for the teams themselves. Uh, then uh, one very interesting area is, is uh, kind of in between the, the kind of workforce and the employer. So, so there, for example, Fuzu is a great example of a company that is making it easy, easy for uh, employers to find people with the right skills. And then to those job applicants that didn't have the right skills, it gives the possibility to learn those skills that were among those skills uh, who were kind of chosen for the job. So, so, so that, that kind of uh, brokerage space is, is, is there we are seeing, seeing a lot. A uh, lot of uh, corporates that, that are focusing to that space. Those two examples. So we'll, get, we'll go to the floor for some questions in a minute. So if you have any questions, uh, get thinking about what those might be. Um, in the meantime, I think most people here are also, you know, exporting what you do. Um, and so I just wondered if in your travels and working with different clients, whether you see um, a need to con sort of contextualize in that culture uh, what you're doing and, and just whether you might talk around some of those changes as well. Yeah, so we are actually exporting our trainings. Um, one of the trainings that I've been into was uh, the Future Entrepreneurs uh, training to Saudi Arabia for Saudi teachers, and it's in the K-12 system. So this has been, uh, it was very, quite success actually, and uh, something to be considered in these terms is you have to be open to the people there and in different cultures, as, and then you really should be respective over other views and cultures as well. So this is something that we started in, and then we added some skills uh, know-how in the portfolio mode. Yeah. 
this is one of the examples. Yeah. I think one example that, that we operate, for example, in Germany, we, we, we have office, the office there, uh, is data protection aspect and how we're able to use data. And they're very, very careful of how the data can and should be used in terms of mm. going towards at all in the measuring employee performance, for example, or making a comparison. That's, that's not allowed. Mm. Um, at the same time, that's, that's sort of restricting sort of innovation, what we can do in, in terms of AI and algorithms. Uh, but on, on a general level, I think the important thing is to be very transparent how the data is used, uh, if it's for the benefit of, of the employee or if it's benefit of the employer. Um, and, and overall, that giving the control to the employees in the future, we see as important that there comes applications, blockchain and other, other things that who gets to own sort of that massive amount of data that's being generated mm -hmm. about your learning experiences personal learning graphs, your knowledge and skills history and how you're able to apply. So it's a very sensitive data. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think when the applications arises, it's, it's more and more going to be a an, an discussion that how that's going to be used and who owns that. Yes, because if you're struggling, it's not something that you no. necessarily want in, in the I, I think uh, an, an point that needs to be made as well is actually an encouragement or suggestion to everyone. If you intend to export education or pedagogical know-how or even going down to didactics. Um, I think it's very useful also to, uh, at least to some extent, import something from other countries. Mm -hmm. in, in our collaboration with Google right now, for instance, they have this global program called Grow with Google. So they have literally thousands of uh, uh, pages of materials, on slide decks, etc. And we've now been collaborating with them on localizing them to Finland. And uh, besides working in Nepal and, and in Mozambique with, with local educational authorities and experts where we've been taking our, our educational materials and, and know-how to them, it's been very useful mm. to work the other way around, to be at the other end of, side of the, the table, so to speak. However you can and are, are able or willing to do this, I warmly encourage you also to work on the import side. Mm -hmm. Only then can you fully understand the dynamics of how you need to operate to really genuinely help people in other cultures. I suppose that's a good uh, way to think about, you know, if, for the panelists, if, if you could change one thing in adult education in Finland uh, to the better, what would you like to see more of? I think, uh, in, in my mind, the most important thing is... is I mean, I, I don't talk about soft skills and hard skills. I understand the, the terminology. But the, at, the, at the core of it, the hardcore, most important hardcore training, or even brain training, if you will, to, to human beings, is and should be to, to help them learn to learn and, and enjoy that process. There's nothing more important than that. So whatever means and uh, uh, ways there are to, to, to enable that through gamification or separate trainings for that, etc. That's where a lot of money and energy should be put into. Okay. I hope there would be some mentoring, more mentoring with different people from different age groups, for example. Then I would like to see that actually if you have a PhD already, you can also go to the vocational school or take part of the curricula with you. And it actually gives you a lot of skills, for example, during becoming an entrepreneur, for example. Mm -hmm. it's, a long, long, um, it's a long discussion in our school, but this is something we are aiming at, really encouraging people to... So better to, sharing of yeah. skills as opposed to just yeah. learning them and using yeah. them for yourself. Absolutely. 
I think one big change that I've been talking about is, is directing more research resources from purely K-12 education research, like, like University of East Finland is a big one, uh, doing a lot of great work. But there isn't a whole lot of research put into corporate learning or working in the workplace. And I think when you, when you think about shifting roles, that educators are becoming coaches and mentors much more uh, as part of the, the phenome-based yeah. learning and, and flipped classroom, it's other way around in, in, in corporates, where you have subject matter experts that should have the skills to curate mm -hmm. uh, uh, knowledge into, into better learning, learning content for other, other employees. So, so I, I think the workplace needs more teachers, but it's a different environment to teach. Um, so, so that kind of sort of research and education from education research should be targeted into corporate, corporate yes. learning side. Yes, and in, in corporate level when you are mentoring, then the ways that you are actually doing the mentoring yeah. is very crucial as well. Yeah. So you, as a mentor, you know a lot. But then you will have to actually go to the... You can also have to go into the boots of the learner, really. Yeah. So it's... If it's possible. Yeah. But it's also... It comes to us and individuals. I, I, I totally believe that this yeah. could be a big export thing for yeah. Finland if we know how to do this reskilling in the yeah, workplace, yeah. Mm -hmm. applying the education background, and just be the lead, lead, leader in the world in, yeah. in this area. Solve the problem. I would like to actually import something from Singapore. They have the, the voucher mechanism for reskilling, where the government is paying actually mm -hmm. uh, for, for those vouchers. And, and if we don't have, I know that Finland is uh, lacking, a, uh, having a bit, bit budget deficit, so it, it, it may be a bit tricky, but there, there, there are ways how, how you can start with it. And, and for example, if with the higher income, then you, you would be able to do some, some kind of tax, tax breaks there. Uh, in, uh, so you could deduct it from taxes, and that way you would kind of become a, a learning society and show way as a government also mm -hmm. on, on, on being a learning society. And I know in the UK with the general election coming, uh, coming that um, some of the political parties are, you know, this is uh, on their policy list of, 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 gi of giving uh, individuals a kind of spending budget for their own lifelong learning. So hopefully we'll actually see it come to fruition, but I won't hold my breath. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So let's go to the audience. Would anyone like to ask our lovely panelists a question? And don't be shy because I know that you must all have some questions. Thank you. What's your taking on how to educate and teach a new workforce coming from abroad to Finland to fix our problem with our age structure or whatever you call it in English? I think well. the question was that when there's new workforce coming outside Finland to Finland. Right, got you. And, okay. and to Specifically to learn or just for other Study. purposes? Oh, to learn, okay. Well, learning is a good starting point. <laughs> Thanks. I would basically go um, with the individuals. First, to start, hey, where are you coming from? Your culture? Um, what are the pros and cons, cons that you have? What do we have? And then kind of have a mixture or not a mixture but um, try to see different views um, for the, um, the common interests or the common problems in our country or globally and try to start from there because there always comes something new that we don't already know or the views that we don't already we haven't actually thought before so this is something to start with but it's a very like <laughs> sociological view here. But anyway, this is something to start at, at one point. 
I would scrap first the work permit mechanism so that everyone who comes to Finland to study and then stays in Finland immediately gets, gets uh, either Finnish citizenship or at least a, a, a kind of permanent to stay a, as long as he or she wants. And then on top of that, I would, I would put uh, a program like uh, entrepreneurship program where you, where you can then, then kind of boost your business. And, and uh, if you look to Silicon Valley, for example, so two-thirds of the startups there are founded by, by actually immigrants who are coming there. So, so uh, the same way in, in Finland, uh, I, I see that the, 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 the workforce uh, opportunities and, and, the, and innovation opportunities that are coming, coming from there. So why are we so stupid that we still have the work permits? Uh, policies here in Finland. That's great start. Yeah. I, I, I can, uh, in a way, address it from the from the har, har, company hiring perspective. Um, there's a lot of competition for tech talent in Finland. It's really difficult to find a specific combination of competencies or tech stack that we would, for, for example, use. So in, in most cases, the most important aspect for us to hire to the culture. So we look at personality, if, it, if it's a good fit for the culture, and then the hard stuff we can train. So it's a big piece in terms of onboarding and, and for us to... to provide the education as part of the, their mentoring process and onboarding process and, and trainees and things like that. Um, so if you think that we're headquartered in Joensu, which is not a huge tech capital of the world uh, from, the, from the employee or people perspective, uh, if we have that capability built into the company, uh, we're able to hire, hire right kind of people and then train them to be the top talent in the, in the world. So I, I think that kind of thinking uh, could be applied in... in, yes. in more companies. And I really liked what Janne and, and Jenny were both saying about the, the kind of mentoring and mentorship that needs to be happening, everything related to that um, in Finland. But especially if people coming from other cultures, obviously they need to be take very well taken care of, not to left uh, too much their own devices. And the education, how many are you familiar with education? Yeah, it's an excellent, uh, uh, still fairly new young program, mm -hmm. but they're doing really great work, and I look forward to seeing them helping people already realize some important things in their home countries, then helping them come here, not be just left alone, but being part of the kind of activities where they can be effective and eager learners. That will make a huge difference in how they learn and their willingness to stay here, which would be really, really good for us here in Finland. So it's interesting, when you mentioned uh, not being in a central tech hub necessarily, um, I think I heard this week that um, over 30% of the UK workforce is now freelance, which I haven't verified, but someone mentioned that at an event. Um, but certainly that trend is becoming more and more. And whether it's freelance or whether it's a distributed workforce, I wondered how people are approaching you know, corporate training, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking to adult learners um, in the context of the actual workplace not necessarily being a physical location, how does that affect what you do? Well, I, I think overall learning and, and learning content that's, that's within the corporate space is, is very valuable um, from recruiting and marketing perspective as well. So we've seen some companies that we work open their, their internal sort of repositories of learning content and use that as inbound marketing for HR, for recruiting. 
So I, I think people in the gig economy, for example, that are, can be very talented, they look very efficiently for learning resources available. And if companies would open more of their sort of high quality, that this is the expertise, what we have and what we can offer, and here's a little piece of, of culture, uh, that's a good way to provide knowledge, valuable knowledge, and, and actually uh, help to attract talent, for example, into mm -hmm. the company. Um, but of course, more and more companies have to work with distributed organizations and more people with outside of their organization. And if we can build better support into the education already with that, that people are comfortable. I think kids who play online games are very comfortable already uh, uh, sort of collaborating with, with different people over the virtual yeah. means, which is important skills skill for the workplace yeah. as well. As being sort of a freelance, or it's a, if it's a freelance kind of best work, so there should be an entrepreneur mindset, of mm. course, that comes to this. So use your imagination, go to somewhere where you see there is a need for the skills that you actually have. You don't need to have the knowledge for everything, but you just be comfortable with your own thing and you go with that. You know your skills and you go with that. And go to different companies mm. and show your knowledge. I'm sure that there is a place. There's for every kind of work. There's a definite connection, yeah. and we've seen that with, with the NASA collaboration Epic Challenge program. If you, if you are able to teach kids how to learn and the, the mm. skills to learn, mm. uh, they will become more entrepreneurial. Uh, yeah. They will show yeah. entrepreneurial traits and, and, and become entrepreneurs. So I think that's, that's a really a key aspect of the, of the whole education that what, what they should yeah. learn. And for the same example. goes for, for freelancers. I think more people are more confident yeah. that I don't know everything, but I, can I know that I can learn if required. Yeah, that was actually a small point. We had with the, um, as we did the Saudi um, the, um, Future Entrepreneurs um, program with Omnia Education Partnerships. Um, it was a high success because actually 70% um, of the Saudi um, people are under 30s and they have their government workplaces, it's fully booked. So you cannot find any job. So you should, one pro is to start with your own uh, company and to have this entrepreneur mindset also there in a very different culture compared to Finland. It was surprising for, surprisingly for us very, um, they were very interested mm -hmm. in this uh, mindset. Work is not the place. Work is not the place. Work, work is a process and that process has physical and virtual virtual and digital elements and 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 actually the same way actually school is not a place school is a service university is not a building university is a service and those services will have digital elements and physical elements yes it's important still to meet and and then th th that those elements that are combining those augmented elements and i think that the that the winners of the future are the ones who can combine them in a cost effective way and still provide a good, good service. So uh, thinking digital first, but not forgetting the important element of, of physical proximity. Okay, so we've got 42 seconds left on the, on the countdown clock. So um, very quickly, any last resources you'd like to share with our audience uh, on this topic that have helped your way of thinking? Uh, use your imagination. Um uh, use your courage, go where you want, and um, you are very good at this. This is something I say to my students every time. You are never ready. The minute when you actually think you are ready, then it's a mistake, and you are not in the society level anymore. <laughs> this is something very, it's whether or not. <laughs> I think collaboration is, is absolutely key, and that's what makes me particularly glad 
to be in a Dare to Learn event like this and, and meeting with, with other people in the industry because just uh, as uh, within the Soprano group, uh, Tieturi, uh, the biggest IT trainer here in, in Finland, is collaborating with, with Google. We're collaborating in Mozambique with uh, Universidade Pedagogica and uh, our MIF Academy is providing uh, trainings all over the world. None of this would be really effective or, or successful without multiple actors coming together and really putting their heads together and sharing knowledge. Uh, I think uh, that's what is absolutely key because too many people are now doing their, their own thing and not properly sharing or understanding what others are doing. Um, and that will clearly be the, the key to success for any individual, but also our industry. If we think about innovation in education, so more and more of the innovation is actually in all industries coming through startups. So, so what I would encourage every investor to do is to invest into education because there is no better place to invest into education because that's investment to the future of ourselves and future of our children and future of mankind. Here, here. So if you're interested more on, for example, what Valamis does in, in, in this space, uh, what, what we've been working with NASA and, and Epic Challenge program, uh, you can find a lot of white papers that, that we've authored from the valamis.com website. So if you're interested in hearing more, come to talk to me or us uh, or visit the website. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to thank our panelists and thanks very much for coming along. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks to all the guests, to UFI, VocTech Trust, Dare to Learn, and to all of you, of course, for listening in. And don't forget, if you've got a good idea or existing work in supporting vocational skills development in the UK, the UFI Seeds Grant application process is open. And workshops and webinars to help guide you are available now. Don't forget that the Seed Fund is open from the 21st of January to the 13th of February. Um, and all the details are at ufi.co.uk. That's all for now. Thanks for subscribing and listening. Hope to see some of you soon in London. Bye-bye.